Well, thank you for joining us this morning again. Um, uh, we're starting the series today called Loving Your Neighbor. And I w- thought I'd start by sharing with you a little story of one thing I experienced when I was uh, in Europe this summer. Uh, for some of you, you may know that I actually hiked the Camino de Santiago in August. It was like a six or 700 mile journey across Spain. And I, as I was doing so, I ran into scores of young adults in their 20s and 30s. Most of the people I ran into were in their 20s and 30s. They were from all over the world, but mostly from Europe. And they were on this particular hiking path, hiking this trail that had been followed by over a thousand years by Christians uh, who were going searching. And when I would ask many of them, why are you doing this Camino? This is a hard journey. This is a long journey. Why are you doing this? Almost without fail, I would hear the same answer over and over again. They would say, because I'm searching for something. I need direction in my life. I'm looking for something. And they weren't sure what it was, but they knew they needed answers in their lives. They needed to have a sense of meaning and purpose in their lives. So oftentimes when I would hear that, I would ask them what their faith looks like. I'd ask if they were Christians since they're following this Christian path. And many times what I would hear is, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm an agnostic. And then uh, when I would ask a little bit more about that, they would say, I'm not sure that there's a God. I can't say for certain that there isn't, but I just know that God's not there. And they would point to a local church in town. About about the church, I would hear words from them like out of touch, narrow-minded, and irrelevant. And it didn't help the fact that many of us, we were walking by all these churches day after day after day, scores of them, and they were almost all locked all week long with no one there. We would, you know, all these people are walking by these churches and they're searching for something. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose. But they come to the doors of the church and they find no one there to welcome them. People say that Europe is post-Christian. And I could sense it. There's a deep hunger For something more, and yet it's met with apathy on both sides, so young adults keep searching. These days, I'd like to say that America is different, but really we're not all that much different anymore, are we? Sure, most of our churches aren't closed all week long. Our doors are open. We have great worship services on Sunday mornings. You can even watch services online from the comfort of your own home. But very few young adults today are finding comfort and hope in their faith. There was a recent study that was done of 20 and 30-somethings here in America. And they were asked a question. What words would you use to describe Christianity today? You can see the words that were most often chosen. Hypocritical, judgmental, and out of touch with reality. As Christ followers, we are called to be different from the world around us. But are we? Short of church attendance and maybe a Jesus fish bumper sticker on the back of our car, how are we different? If we're not different, the church sees, uh, in the church, the world sees us as insignificant and unimportant. I wonder, what would change those assumptions in our world today? Would it be more programs in the church? Better programs or is it something more? Many times, young people in America especially walk into churches and they walk out not finding what they're looking for. A few days ago, one of our staff heard that a former co-worker of his here in town committed suicide. 
The man had tried attending church regularly and was even serving in the church. And eventually he quit it altogether because he wasn't finding what he was looking for. He wasn't finding what he needed. And he died without even as much as a memorial service. What was missing in that man's life? Well, you might think this is a hard question or a tricky question, but really it isn't. It's right here in the pages of Scripture. Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing that we as Christians people are to do? And he answered with the very thing that is the most needed by people throughout the world today, regardless of age, uh, sex, or you know, uh, background, financially. It's the same answer. And we find that in the pages of Mark chapter 12. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 12 for a moment this morning? We're going to read just a few verses from Scripture today to kind of guide us in this. But I think the answer is already pretty obvious. It says in verse 28, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. Because there was this debate going on with all these religious leaders throwing all these tough questions at Jesus. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which are the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And uh, I, I know it's important to love him with all of my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. So, you see, after a few people had tried to trick Jesus, tried to trap him, this one guy, this one religious teacher, he is listening to all this and he's thinking, I wonder if Jesus can answer my question. And this wasn't a trick question. This was one that was genuinely burning in his heart. He was one of these teachers who would teach these hundreds of laws that the Jews are to follow all the time. And he was overwhelmed by it himself, no doubt. And so he says, Jesus, can you narrow down the list for us? There's 500 plus laws that I'm to teach people to obey all the time. Is there just like one that we can take away? One that kind of means more than anything else? And without hesitation, Jesus said, yes. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. Nothing is more important to God. And nothing is more needed in the world today than love. The single most essential ingredient to life today is love. People are searching for it all the time, whether they notice it or not. And, the, and Jesus says to us in Scripture that if we do one thing well as Christ followers, one thing, Jesus says, love well. Love me and love your neighbor. Now notice this guy only asked for one commandment, right? And Jesus one-ups him. He's like, I'm not going to give you just one. I'm going to give you two, right? Why did he do that? Because Jesus saw that in that moment, those two commands are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. 
And it's ironic because back in Jesus' day, there were Jewish men who wore phylacteries on their wrists and on their heads. I actually saw several of them as I was visiting the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem back in May. Young boys as young as 13 years of age would wear these straps around their heads and their arms. And in these, you perhaps can see them in this video. And in those little boxes that are on those straps, do you know what's written inside? These boxes are about this big. But inside those boxes is written a phrase. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus saw young boys and men walking around in his day, and they were wearing these out of a genuine love for God, they would say, and yet they didn't love their neighbor. And Jesus said, you can't do one and not do the other. It's impossible. Today, we as Christ followers, many of us, we walk around with crosses on our necks and on our wrists to remind us of how much Jesus loves us and that he died for us. And there's nothing wrong with these showings of Christ, of God's love for us. But God doesn't call us to just wear love. He calls us to live love, to, not, to, to demonstrate it throughout our lives. Jesus called out religious people in his day who were wearing love, but they weren't living lives of love because loving God means loving your neighbor. 2,000 years later, we, even as Christian people, we don't always remember this, do we? This summer, I actually read a book that was really impacting to me. It was a book called The Art of Neighboring. And in, this book was actually written by a pastor in Denver, Colorado, a few years ago. In this book, he describes how he and 20 other pastors in the Denver area decided to ha- make an appointment with the mayor of the city to sit down and talk with him and say, Mayor, what are the biggest needs in our city? How do you, would you call the church to come alongside and help? And so the mayor sits down with all these people and he starts explaining to them all the needs that he is encountering on a daily basis in the city of Denver. He talks about the at-risk kids. He talks about the drug and the alcohol abuse. He talks about the homelessness. He talks about loneliness. And he goes on and on. And then the mayor said something that was surprising. It was so surprising it caught all of these pastors off guard. This is what he said. He said, the majority of the issues that our community is facing here in Denver would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. He said, the city could continue to identify all the problems, but government programs are not the best way, he said, to solve most of the social issues of our cities. In neighborhoods where people love and care for each other on a regular basis, organically, many of these problems, he said, he sees are eliminated. The pastors there left kind of embarrassed. They were preached at by the mayor on the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it also wasn't lost on these group of pastors as they met with the city manager of Arvada, one one of the suburbs of Denver, and she told the the group of pastors this. She said, from the city's perspective, there isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our communities. So what would happen, guys, if here at least, on the border of Tucson and Oro Valley, we decided to actually take the great commandment literally? What would it look like if we truly started loving our neighbor 
as we love ourselves? What would change? How would things change? Now, some of, you, some of you men who are in the room right now, you may be listening to this and you're thinking, Dave, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I'm not into this love thing. Love's about feelings, and I'm just not into feelings. I'm not into this sappy, sweet kind of love. That say, I'm a guy, I don't do that. Well, let me just share something with you. Jesus says that this kind of love he's talking about is a love that helps, that protects, that sacrifices, John 15 says, for what is right. It's a love that rolls up its sleeves and does things that people can't do for themselves and that others around won't bother to do. Yet our capacity to love in ourselves I want you to hear this. It can only go so far. There's only so much that you can do in your own strength. Real sacrificial love, it comes from God. That's the source. You you can only manufacture that for yourself for only so long. The more that your relationship with Christ grows, we talked about this in the last series, the more power we have to love as Christ loved in the world. We have to have that love relationship with God to truly sacrificially love our neighbor. Without it, it's just hollow. This summer, my family and I also visited a place in Spain called Javier. And while we were there in this little town called Javier, we went to this castle that was there uh, that was really interesting. It was... uh, the, it was uh, a f- castle that was lived in mostly in the 1500s. And one of the people who had lived in this castle was a guy by the name of Francis. He was an athlete who, had lived, who came from a wealthy family back in the 1500s. And he went to school in the University of Paris because he decided that he wanted to be a wealthy university professor. And while he was at the University of Paris, he happened to meet a guy. He actually dormed with a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Some of you remember from this last series. This guy got under Francis' skin. Because one day he looks at him and he asks Francis a question. It was the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. He said, as he was talking about this desire to be a professor and make a bunch of money and live wealthy, Ignatius said the words of Jesus to him. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? That question bugged Francis. He was, as I said, he was an athlete. He had these dreams for being a success in life. And you start bringing up all this Jesus stuff, and it just complicates everything, right? He, can't, he couldn't forget this question that Ignatius posed to him. He thought about it all the time. He'd think, God, are these plans that I have created for my life, are they your plans? Or do you have different plans in mind for me that I can't see right now? A few years later, Francis finds out that there's a need for missionaries in India. There are millions of people who don't know Jesus. And God touches his heart and says, I want you to go there. So he does. He gets on a boat and he goes to India. And while he's there, uh, he not only works in India, he ends up going to Indonesia, to Japan, and even to the doorstep of China before he dies of sickness at the age of just 46 years of age. Now you might think, well, that was a waste right? He's following this Jesus call, and he goes to the other part of the world, to people he can't relate to, people he, he has lived a lifestyle completely different from him, and he dies at the age of 46. Well, did you know that before Francis of Javier died, he had led 
over 700,000 people to Jesus. 700,000. People have written, people would write back then about how this white guy came and loved us way more than we could understand. There are stories that are told about how Francis would walk through Indian villages ringing a bell with this huge smile and laughter on his face. And he would attract young kids and then he would sit down with them and he'd tell them about Jesus. Francis led more people to Jesus than anyone in history before him except the Apostle Paul. And it all came from this heart to love his neighbor. A neighbor that turned out was on the other side of the world, but one that God called him to love. Men like the Apostle Paul, men like Francis, didn't just see loving your neighbor as something that we say that we do or something that we do when we feel like it but something that we follow God and we actually do. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this. It says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show each other the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we, are, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Because nothing, guys, is more important to God and nothing is more needed in the world today than love. And you might say, Dave, this Francis, that's a great story, but I'm not called to be a missionary. I know that. He might not have known it, but I know it. Well, maybe not. But as followers of Jesus, God calls all of us in love to go the extra mile. So where do we start? Well, we talked about this in the last series. The first thing that we have to do if we're going to take loving our neighbor seriously is we have to love Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we don't, then this whole idea of loving our neighbor becomes hollow. It becomes rote and meaningless. First Corinthians tells us you can do all this stuff, but if you don't do it with love, genuine Christ-centered love, it's like a resounding symbol. It doesn't mean much of anything. Christ has to be at the center of everything for us. If it's not, none of it really matters. So Christ has to be at the, in the center of our lives, number one. And secondly, we ask Christ forgive us, to give us a burden for what burdens him. You know, many people think that they're created to get up, go to work, come home, watch a little TV, and go to bed every day. To make a little money, to retire, and die. Really? Is that what life is all about? Mark 8, verse 35, Jesus said, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Ask God to give you a burden. A burden that he carries for the neighbors around you. Maybe it's for your golfing buddies. And all you see as you go out golfing with them is just a few, few great guys to hang out with. But God is saying, why don't you love them the way I love them? Love you. Maybe it's those marriages that are on the brink of divorce. And you just know God's stirring in you to do something. And it feels uncomfortable. And you think, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And Jesus is saying, love them. Love them. Get to know those people who are living around you. How has Christ called you to come alongside those who are around you and love them and serve them unconditionally? 
all around us, guys. There are people every day who are facing real challenges and real struggles, and they don't find unconditional love. The world looks at the church and doesn't find it, and they say the church is irrelevant. Because if the church cared, they would do something about those who are struggling. But when the church stands up and does something about it, then that's a different story. You know, there was a time in history, uh, in, the, in Rome actually, Rome, Italy, where the, where the city was full of sickness. It was several centuries ago. And people were dying, and the people who weren't dying, they were actually fleeing the city to get away from all the sickness. And at the same time, there were people fleeing into the city. And it was Christian people from all around in the surrounding villages. They were going in to care for the poor, for the sick, and for the dying in the city of Rome. And the reports in history estimate that the church started serving 3,000 people a day. Now, Rome, the city of Rome started trying to do something about this. They were watching all these Christians serving the poor, serving the dying, and they were like, we can do that. And they couldn't get the wheels off the ground. They couldn't actually do what the Christians were doing, and they realized it was because they didn't have that kind of love for their city the way that the Christians did. And so the history records that people would murmur in the streets. They would point to Christians and say, look how they love one another. Look how different they are. They actually care. Not surprisingly, Christianity rapidly expanded in that period of history because people saw that the church was relevant. There's an article in your online sermon notes today that was written by a guy who reflects on this time in history. And in that article, this is what he wrote. He said, get this, this is really good. He said, we Christ followers won't be relevant or even cool to the populace at large, but neither were our brothers and sisters in antiquity. Culture at large will see the things we do and the traditions we follow as silly myths. But the love, the grace, and acceptance we extend, they won't be able to argue with if we truly live the life of Jesus to others. So while Christianity may never be relevant or cool, here's what we will be attractive. People will wonder why you value the broken, the poor, and the marginalized, and why you use your, your finances and your life and your time to help them, even if they never change. And he says, that's attractive. People will marvel that your friend group doesn't just consist of people of the same color, sexual orientation, or nationality as you, but it spans different beliefs, races, and political views. They'll be shocked that you serve, love, laugh, and mourn with them. That's attractive. So let me ask you this morning, to what extent will you go to love your neighbor, to love those that you know around you, and even those that you don't know. To love those who you discover are silently hurting and broken. Those who are searching for something more and you know that that thing is God himself. And that it can be found in Christ. Yeah, we're all busy. We've all got busy lives. But imagine what your neighborhood would look like if they started loving each other like that. If they started loving each other sacrificially and not caring about themselves first, but those who are around them. And what if, believe it or not, you actually led by example? What if you set the tone in your apartment complex? 
in your neighborhood by reaching out and loving people in crazy, unimaginable ways because Christ stirs that within you. Nothing is more important to God in this world. Nothing is more important to God. And nothing is more needed in this world today than simple acts of love. May we be a people who do not lack the urgency to follow Christ in the greatest commandment of all. And may we not just wear love on our necks, but live it out in ways that are real and attractive and relevant so that lives can be changed forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we are here and we celebrate your amazing acts of love. How you died on a cross for us out of this unmistakable love for us. In a time when we were selfish and focused on ourselves as, as humanity, you gave everything for us. Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would stir in our hearts. Help us to see those aspects of our lives where we tend to be a little selfish, where we tend to focus on ourselves, and we ignore those around us who are hurting. We ignore those around us who are hurting, and everyone else seems to be ignoring them as well. But Lord, in those moments, I pray that we would pay attention to you, and that we would trust you and love well. And may we love well, not out of our own strength, but because your love has so stirred within us that we can't help ourselves. May we be a community here at Grace that are known for loving our city well. If nothing else is known about us in the next generation, may we be known for that one simple thing. That's our heart's prayer, Lord. May it be, to be as you say, in Jesus' name, amen.